If you have a Bible or a Bible app on your phone, join me in the book of Isaiah this morning, Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. As you're turning there, I do want to say if you've never been baptized and that's been something that's maybe been on your heart, you've known for a while that that's the next step for you as far as just publicly declaring your allegiance to Jesus and you'd like to be baptized, please talk to myself, talk to your living community pastor, talk to someone uh, that's here this morning. We'd love to share with you what that baptism signifies, what it means, what it declares, and then possibly see about uh, you being baptized at the event there on September 19th. But I want to encourage you to consider that if you've never taken that step of following Christ publicly there with baptism. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8, if you would follow along with me as I read. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, Isaiah says. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah says, Here am I. Send me. Revelation, ruin, and repentance. Revelation, ruin, and repentance. The journey to living a life of awe in God, the journey to living a life of worship, and by that we mean a life where we willingly desire to obey Christ, not out of fear, not out of duty, not out of obligation, but out of gratitude and joy for having received His rescuing grace. That journey to living that kind of life begins with revelation. It begins with God making Himself known to us. And when you behold God and His holiness and all that He is, you become deeply exposed for who you really are. You become exposed and you realize that the right response to the revelation of God, to the holiness of God, is this response of ruin, this response of having this deep awareness that you are a sinner, that you're filled with sinfulness, complete depravity, rightly deserving of God's judgment. That's the right response when you come into the presence of a holy God. And then that response helps you understand or it makes you realize that, yes, I am a sinner. And just like that piece of coal that you hold in your hand, after a while it begins to stain your hands, and then it begins to spread to other parts, you realize that that ruin leads you to the response of repentance. A response that says, yes, I acknowledge that, yes, I am a sinner. The reason why I sin is because I am a sinner. I'm selfish and I'm broken. And if the journey of worship ended there, our worship would never move away from sorrow, from misery, from sadness. But thankfully, the journey doesn't end there. There's hope. There's joy. And the reason why is because there's redemption. Because God has given us His redeeming grace. And because of that, as a result of that, our sorrow, our response of sorrow is moved to joy. 
Listen, I, wanted, I want you to hear something. As, if you're hearing a child of God, you need to hear this, that you never need to stay sorrowful in your struggle with sin because you have received the joy of forgiveness through redemption in Christ. You never need to stay sorrowful in your struggle with sin if you're hearing a child of God because you have received the joy of forgiveness in Jesus Christ. That's so important and this word redemption, it means to rescue. It means to give payment for something so that you get something in return. And it has this idea, this sense of freeing from bondage. And here we enter this heavenly worship service, Isaiah chapter 6. And if this, this worship service were, were put to a score of music, verses 1 through 4 would be in this major key. It would be this huge, glorious theme. It'd be grand. It'd be big. It'd be like, oh, this is amazing. You know something great's here. You know something's coming. And then verse 5, the music changes and it turns into this minor key. This, this sense of sorrow, this sense of distress, this sense of mourning. But what's amazing in verses 6 through 7 is that it's going to turn back to a major key because there's hope, because there's joy, because there's redemption. Redemption is coming, and what we see in verse 6 is that grace to Isaiah is just a preposition away. And what's important is that this redemption that Isaiah is going to receive, it is going to be the flame that is going to burn, that's going to fuel his fire for living a life of worship in God. Now, why is all this important? And if I could summarize the truth for us this morning as it relates to this living this journey of an awestruck life in God, it would be this. The journey to living an awestruck life in God is fueled by God's gift of redemption. It's fueled by God's gift of redemption. Now, let me explain to you why this, impo this is important for us in our worship. Because redemption, redemption moves our response of worship from ruin. It moves it from ruin to rejoicing. It moves it from winter to springtime. Redemption is what enables you in the middle of the day when you had that lustful thought or that prideful thought or you said something you know you shouldn't have said and that shame hits you and you start thinking, oh, why do I keep digging into this? Why do I keep giving into this? Redemption enables you to move from guilt to gratitude. It, it's what enables you to move from sorrow to joy. Redemption does that. That's the beauty of this worship that God has given to us and this flow of worship that we see here in Isaiah 6. See, without redemption, our worship is left to ruin, but with it, our worship is moved to rejoicing. And so it's so critical. Redemption is so vital to our worship because it moves us to joy. It moves us to joy. But it's also important because it's redemption that will fuel your fire to follow Christ when it seems like no one else is. That's Isaiah's story. Isaiah's living amongst the people that are rebelling against God. They have the religious stuff down. They're doing all the right things, but their hearts are far from God. And here's Isaiah, I'm sure, feeling very alone, and yet he commits and stays committed to God's mission and God's calling. Why? Because of redemption. It's redemption that enables you to continue to follow Christ when the people at the gym have no clue, when you're talking to them about this thing called living community and church and Jesus and all this stuff. It, it, it's what drives you to continue to follow Christ when you feel like no one understands. Redemption is vital to our worship because it moves us from sorrow to joy and it's the fuel that will fire your flame to follow Christ when no one else seems to be following Jesus. 
And it's important for us as we begin here at verses 6 and 7, I want to show the connection and the intersection between the book of Isaiah and the redemption in Christ. The book of Isaiah is often referred to as the fifth gospel. It's referred to as the fifth gospel because of its many references to Jesus Christ. We have Isaiah 53, which is incredible, beautiful foretelling of, of Christ coming and His suffering on the cross. And there's at least over 20 references to Christ in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah is one of the most quoted books by Jesus when he lived on earth in the first century. In fact, Luke records for us in Luke chapter 4 that Jesus shows up into the temple and he's handled the scroll of Isaiah, which was written 700 years before Jesus came to earth. And Jesus opens up the scroll and he reads from it and he says to the people in the temple, I'm the fulfillment of what Isaiah wrote about 700 years earlier. I'm the one anointed by God I'm the one anointed to preach the gospel to the poor, to set the captives free, and to heal the brokenhearted. Jesus says, I am who Isaiah was talking about. And so immediately we see this connection between the book of Isaiah, the person of Isaiah, and the redemption of Christ. And I want to show us this this morning of how this worship service here in Isaiah 6 leads us to see Christ. It leads us to see the redemption of Jesus Christ. And we see it here in verse 6 and verse 7. Look at what it says. So here's Isaiah in the state of ruin, the state of repentance, the state of misery and sorrow. He recognizes he's deserving of God's judgment. Then, that word then in verse 6 is huge. It's huge. I mean, it is so packed with grace. I mean, it's just amazing. when We, we can't go too quick past that word, that preposition then, because it's just so packed with grace, because look what happens. In verse 6, it says, Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand. You see, here's a first observation that I want us to see about how this worship service and this redemption that Isaiah receives leads us to see Christ. It, what we see here is this This redemption that Isaiah receives leads us to see the sending of Christ. It leads us to see the sending of Christ. The seraph flies to me, Isaiah says. He flies to me. Now, where is this seraph? Where is it previously? It's hovering above the throne of God. It's in the presence of God, and the seraph is hovering. It says that in verse 2. It's above him. It's above the presence of God, and it's flying around, and it's calling out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And then what's amazing is Isaiah sees one of these seraphs peel off, peel off, and start flying toward him. Can you imagine that? That's incredible. I mean, I would freak out. I mean, completely flip out. This is amazing, and then what is the thing? It's coming straight for me. It's coming toward me. It's coming to me. And it's where it's coming from is so important. It's coming from God's throne. And God's throne is a throne of grace. We know that because of Hebrews. Hebrews, which says, the writer says this, let us then approach God's throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need, Hebrews 4.16. So here, from God's throne of grace, God sends this seraph to Isaiah, and he says, go, go fly to him, fly to him, go to him. And the seraph comes. And what does this reveal to us, the fact that God sends this seraph to Isaiah? Well, it reveals a couple things. One, it reveals that we cannot rescue ourselves. We can't. We're incapable of this. We're incapable of giving ourselves redemption or grace. 
Isaiah's ruined. He knows it. And when he compares himself with the backdrop of God's holiness, he, he realizes I'm totally gone. I'm doomed. I'm depraved. And I'm deserving of any kind of judgment that God gives me. And if we don't ever get to that point, it's because we do not see God for who he really is. We come lazy with his holiness. And he realizes, I can't earn God's acceptance. I can't earn God's favor. I can't earn his grace. My sin is too deep. My sin is too gross. My sin is too much. I am broken. And he realizes in that moment that broken can't fix broken. But God's sending of the seraph also reveals that God's overwhelming heart is a heart of love to redeem and rescue sinners. Someone said, God doesn't reveal himself to destroy us. He reveals himself to redeem us. And that's what we see here in Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 6. He says, then the seraph comes to me. God calls out to this messenger and he says, fly to Isaiah. Go to him. Go to him. And what a beautiful picture of God's grace. You see, the sent seraph points us to see the sent Christ. 700 years later after this vision that Isaiah receives, God would send another messenger, not in the form of a vision, but in the form of flesh. And this messenger would be his own son. The greatest expression of God's love in sending his own son. John wrote this in 1 John 4.10. He said, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. This is love. God sending his son to you is an expression of God's love. And Paul wrote, but when the time had fully come, God sent his son. Why? To redeem, to rescue those who are capable of rescuing themselves, which is each and every one of us. You see, this time when God sends his son, the messenger would come not as a representative for God, but as God himself. He would, he would come and he would conquer sin. He would conquer death. He would conquer Satan. He would remove our ruin and provide rescue for you once for all from your own sin. Do we get that? Does that do anything inside us? Like my grandpa would say, does that do anything inside your gizzard? I mean, it's just like in your gizzard. I mean, you're just like, that's crazy that God would do that for you, for you and for you and me. That God would say, fly, go. Jesus, go to them. Go, go rescue them. Go give them my grace. Go. And he, who he would send would be his own son. He would send his son. I'm going to ask Grant, my son, he's got a bag, and he's going to come around, and he's going to collect each person's coal. So he's going to stand. So as I'm talking, he, that's what he's going to do. He's going to go around. He's going to take the coal from you this morning. That's what he's going to do. God sent his son to you. He sent his son. And do you know what this means? Let me tell you what this means. You know what this means? This means God loves you. He loves you. The fact that he would send his own son to you. Listen, you never need to wonder if God loves you or if you're important to him. All you need to do is look to the sending of his son for affirmation of his love. That's all we have to do is behold the fact that God the Father sent his son to you, to me. We need never doubt his love for us. And the reason at this point we don't shout 
as a result of this great grace is because I think you and I have very little understanding of the holiness of God and we have too big of an understanding of ourselves. That reason alone, the fact that God sends His Son to us to rescue us from our sin, that's reason enough for worship. Reason enough for worship. And the fuel for Isaiah's life of worship comes from God sending him redemption. Is there anyone in the, in the middle section here that, that you still have your coal? Anyone? Anybody over here still have your coal? All right, we still have your coal here, right? He's coming. The second observation that I think we see here is the redemption that Isaiah receives leads us to the altar of the cross of Christ. It leads us to the altar of the cross of Christ. Look, so this seraph flies from the presence of God, flies from the throne of grace, and what does he have? He's not empty-handed. He's, he has a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. So where does this coal come from? It comes from the altar of God's presence. They're in the temple. They're in the temple, and God is there, and, and In Old Testament scriptures, we read of how God's people, they had the temple and there was this holy of holies which only the presence of God resided there. But once a year, the high priest and only the high priest would walk into the holy of holies and he would offer blood sacrifice once a year to cover over the sins of God's people. Now to offer that blood sacrifice required fire. Where's that fire going to come from? It's going to come from live coals. So here you have these burning coals from the altar of God's presence and this, the messenger that God sends, he sends with him this burning coal. And it's burning because it's associated with God's judgment. Fire throughout Scripture is associated with the judgment of God. Hebrews says this, our God is a consuming fire, Hebrews 9.29. So this coal that this messenger of God, who God has sent, he has in his hand, in the, with, with these tongs, he has this live burning coal and it comes through the fire of God's judgment. And then this coal, what happens? This coal becomes the provision for purifying and cleansing Isaiah. Do you see how this points to the cross? Do you see how this leads us to the cross, the altar of the cross of Christ? 1 Peter 2.24 says, He himself, meaning Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the tree. The altar for Christ was the cross. And on the cross, he experienced the fire of God's judgment and wrath for our sin. And it points to Christ. It points to His cross. It it would be the final altar of sacrifice where Christ once for all would take the punishment you and I deserve for every sin of your past, every sin that you committed yesterday, every sin you're going to commit today, and every sin you'll ever commit in the future. He took it upon Himself on the cross. He took God's judgment that you and I deserve the penalty for our sin. And He laid it at the cross. And He became sin. For us, he who knew no sin became sin for us on our behalf. And so here, Christ's death on the cross becomes our substitute, like the coal for Isaiah, and experiencing the fire of God's judgment. Listen, the sending of Christ is reason for worship, and the cross of Christ is reason for worship. Do we get this? Do we understand the gravity and magnitude of what God has done for us and redemption? 
And just like Grant took the coals from you, God, through his son, takes the sin from you, and he puts it upon his son at the cross to experience the judgment that we deserve for our sins. You know what this means? You know what this means for you, for me? Here's what it means. It means God loves you. It means he absolutely loves you. That he would not only send his son, but he would put his son on the altar of the cross to experience the Father's judgment that you and I deserve for our sin. Romans 5.8 tells us that God demonstrated his own love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Someone said, I don't know if we have the quote on the screen, there it is, God's provision for our cleansing is the cross of Jesus Christ. He does not put hot coals on our lips. Instead, he placed the judgment for our sin on his own sinless son. And then Jerry Bridges, author and pastor, says this. He says, if we want proof of God's love for us, then we must first look at the cross where God offered up his son as a sacrifice for our sins. Calvary, the cross, is the one objective, absolute, irrefutable proof of God's love for us. And this redemption that Isaiah receives, that God sends to him, and then God provides a substitute for him, would be the fuel that would fire his life of worship when it seemed like no one else cared. Third and final observation I think that we see here is how the redemption that Isaiah receives leads us to the cleansing in Christ. It leads us to the cleansing in Christ. Look what he does with this, this coal. It says, Isaiah says, with it he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. This substitute that was sent and that experienced the fire of God's judgment is now applied to the very place that Isaiah said is unclean. He says in verse 5, my lips are unclean. And as we looked at last week, these lips are indicative of his heart. How do we know that? Because look what's taken away. Guilt is taken away. That's a heart issue. Sin is atoned for. That's heart issue. And so what this, this coal does, it, it's applied to the very place of uncleanness in Isaiah. And it sets him free from this burden of guilt. And again, this leads us, the touching of the coal to Isaiah's unclean lips leads us to the cleansing that comes through Christ and the cross because Christ's sacrifice on the cross cleanses and not only forgives us of our sins, listen, it cleanses you from your conscience. It cleanses us from the guilt. Hebrews writer says this, how much more will the blood of Christ cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death? And it was, His blood will cleanse us from a guilty conscience. Christ's sacrifice, Ephesians 1.7 says, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. Do, you, do we get the fact that every sin that you've committed in your past and present and future is forgiven by God because of the cross? Even the guilt of that sin, He wipes away. Incredible. Does that move us anymore, church? Or are we becoming like the church at Ephesus that says we've forsaken our first love? Or the church at Laodicea where he says, you're neither hot nor cold, you're lukewarm. The gospel doesn't, doesn't do anything to us anymore. It doesn't shake us anymore. It doesn't move us anymore. Let us not be that. 
Let us behold the glory of Christ and the cross and His redemption and may it move us to a life of worship, a life of awe, out of gratitude for His forgiveness, for His redemption. And but some of us, what we do, we have this bag of sin that has been forgiven and it's laid at the cross and we just walk around with it everywhere. We just hold on to it. We go to work with it. We go to school with it. We go home with it. We bring it up over and over again. And for whatever reason, we think we need to pay penance for our sins. And so we walk around with this guilt and this shame. And after a while, there's certain things that we can't do anymore because just carrying it. And we just have this huge bag on our shoulder. And he's saying, no, I shouldered that for you. I took that for you. That's why I went to the cross. I took it so you don't have to bear that anymore. The burden of the guilt of your sin and shame is at the cross. You're set free from that. Free. Free from comparing yourself to others. Free from pride, from the sin that, and the shame that comes from those things. I set you free from the, the burden of that. See, that's why redemption is so incredible when it comes to a life of worship because it moves us from ruin to repentance through redemption to rejoicing in Jesus for all that He is and all that He's done for us. And this redemption, this cleansing, and we see it in verse 8, and we'll look at more of this next week, but he says, then I heard the voice of the Lord, this one who has sent this messenger of redemption, who, who sent a, a substitute and sent the substitute that would set him free. He, he hears the voice of this, this God of grace saying to him, who will I send and who will go for us? And the next obvious response to that redemption is, I'll go. How can I not do what God calls me to do? How can I not obey after all that He's done for me? How can I not willingly, graciously surrender my life to Him after all that He's done for me? I am so undeserving. And that would be the fuel. Redemption would be the fuel for Isaiah's life of worship. And it would come from God sending the seraph leading to the sentness of Christ. It would be God providing this burning coal from the altar that would lead us to the altar of the cross of Christ. And then God using that burning coal to provide cleansing to that which is unclean in Isaiah. In, in Isaiah. And that leads us to see the cleansing that comes for us in Christ. Listen, the journey to living a life of awe in God, a life of worship, is fueled when we get a grip and a grasp on the gospel and on the redemption and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. That's ours today. And so what we have here in Isaiah 6, we see this, this worship flow of revelation, God making himself known, and then it moves us to the response of ruin, and then we acknowledge that we're sinners, that's repentance, and then the redemption, we've, we've received redemption, then through Christ we cannot help but respond and go, thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Worship leader Matt Papa, he's down in a church in North Carolina. He says this, worship doesn't happen when a guy gets on stage with a guitar. It happens when faith-filled eyes behold the glory of Christ. When we behold the glory of Christ. And John Stott, who's a pastor in England, he says this, the Christian community is a community of the cross, for it has been brought into being by the cross, and the focus of its worship is the Lamb once slain, now glorified. So what does this look like in real life as we go throughout the day? I think it looks like Paul's words in Romans 7, 24, and 25 when he says, What a wretched man I am! Who will rescue me from this body of death? 
ruin, repentance, but it does not end there. He goes to redemption and he says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Redemption leads to rejoicing. I don't have to stay. My worship doesn't stay in sorrow and misery. It moves to rejoicing because I've received redemption. My, my sin has been atoned for. My guilt has been taken away. I am undeserving of that. And I, how can I not celebrate and rejoice in my Savior, the Lamb of God who took, takes away the sins of the world? What's Jesus saying to you this morning? What's he saying to you about your life of worship? In him this morning. What's he saying to me? Has our heart grown cold to the glory of Jesus? Has our, has our heart grown cold to the gospel? To the reality, reality of all that we have been given by God through his son Jesus Christ? What's your response this morning? What's Jesus saying to you? And then what do you need to do in response to what he's saying to you? What's your response to this lamb of God? His son who was sent went to the altar of the cross to provide cleansing for you. What's your response to him this morning? We're going to watch his song this morning being played and sung. And the words are so appropriate for the message this morning. As you listen and watch, what's your response to your Savior this morning? Maybe you want to kneel right where you are and you just want to talk to him. There's a couple chairs here. Maybe you want to come to the front and move to the back. What's your response to Jesus this morning?